All right, today we're going to do a economic update as well as stock market recap, kind of giving you guys an idea about what's going to happen in 2021. Kind of starting off with uh, the stock market here, looking at outside of the technology industry, there has been zero growth in the past 12 years. Welcome back to The Talking Hedge. I'm Josh Kincaid, Capital Markets Analyst and host of your Cannabis Business Podcast. So we can see value is plummeting while growth is increasing. Everybody and their mom is out day trading right now. And so I kind of want to show you guys how the S&P 500 is relatively flat with just about five stocks doing all of the heavy lifting. So let's take a look at that, what that looks like. So aside from Facebook and Google, Apple, Amazon, Netflix, and Microsoft, the rest of the S&P 500 is, again, relatively flat. That's because those you know five stocks uh, are the definitive growth for the market uh, for a long time. So not just this year, but it's been that way for a while. So in fact, you could look back several decades and you can see an unprecedented divergence emerging just after the financial crisis between technology's return on equity and earnings per share. So we can see that world growth, excluding technology, has uh, achieved zero earnings growth since the 2008 crisis. So that point really can't be overstated. So it means that roughly 2,000 points of the S&P growth since the last crash has been entirely on the back of technology. Also means that the mean reversion, once it comes as inflation makes its triumph return, that uh, ultimately um, it's going to be a historic collapse once that whole correction happens. So looking at the last 12 months earnings, um, excluding technology, uh, it's starting to dip. Here's another graph of just Apple and Amazon and Microsoft. You can look back at the 1998 bubble uh, when the 2000 you know, uh, dot-com collapse happened and then right now. So we're starting to see really the same bubble and yet um, that irrational exuberance hasn't quite hit the mainstream yet. Uh, everyone's staying at home, day trading, and it's greed. Really, nobody wants this to collapse because everyone wants to make money. But the reality is, is this is a Ponzi scheme uh, when people are just throwing money at it, uh, making other people rich. And the reality is this is going to collapse. This is not based on any kind of uh, long-term reality that's sustainable. Um, this has really kind of gone parabolic and anything that goes straight up, straight back down. So they say you take the stairs up and the elevator down. So if you're prepared for that, great. Uh, but just know that it's not going to be a stair step down. It's going to be an elevator going straight down, uh, causing some serious collapse. Not really sure when, um, but I would imagine at least by 2023. And the reason I say that is because there's going to be $80 trillion worth of uh, money that is going to be converted from LIBOR to SOFR. So the London interbank offer rate is what every single loan is based on, but the LIBOR rate was rigged. And so long story short, uh, somebody would make a call, they'd call all these banks and say, what rate are you getting? And that left for some interpretation. And so it was deemed that uh, LIBOR was uh, fraudulent. And so the United States came up with um, SOFR, which is the secured overnight funding rate. And so that's going to be the new uh, way that, that the U.S. Uh, track or, you know, puts uh, rates on loans like mortgages and everything else. So um, the interesting part about that is they delayed that from 2021 to 2023. Pushing that out means that $80 trillion in, in the U.S. alone, $200 trillion worldwide 
is now being pushed out to 2023. When LIBOR switches to the secured overnight funding rate, no one knows what's going to happen. And so more than likely, there's going to be defaults and crashes and everything else. So um, could be something similar to Black Monday. Uh, 33 years ago, we saw a 22% decline overnight. So if there are going to be some bank runs, assuming there's cash in 2023 and not uh, digital currency, just remember that only 8% of the world's cash is in currency. So there's really uh, you know, less than one in 10 uh, dollars physical than there is digitally. So they will be moving, uh, all central banks will be moving to a digital currency eventually. But Josh, the market only goes up. Well, that's partly true. And here's an article why that happens. In 2011, Exxon was the most profitable company by market cap in the entire world. And then they got kicked out of the Dow. Why is that? Well, it's because um, not because oil doesn't have anything to do with the United States. Uh, a lot of these markets are supposed to be an indicator or a reflection of the overall market, the economy and how well things are doing. Not so much anymore. What you're seeing from a lot of these big board exchanges like the Dow and S&P is that they're going to add companies that have a lot of upward momentum. They will pull companies out like Exxon that aren't doing as well and put companies in that do. So you don't really hear about that uh, when these indexes get uh, adjusted. But when it happens, it's for one reason and one reason only. It's not because Exxon isn't a reflection of the economy. It's because the Dow wants to keep going up and up and up. So when you think that the market goes up, great. But are you in, are you invested in an ETF? Are you invested in the entire economy? Probably not. You probably have a particular stock that you like, like Tesla, which we're going to rip apart in a little bit. But Looking at the Dow, you can see since 1928, all of these companies that come in and out, in and out, and yet the market only goes up. Well, okay, but what is the market? The market is constantly changing. So while these individual equities are getting absolutely hammered, the market goes up, the Dow goes up. Is that real? Is it uh, a, a good indication of what the economy is? I don't think so. But uh, if you want to continue to invest in the SPY, the uh, S&P 500 ETF or the Dow, they're great. Continue to do that. Uh, it's only going to keep going up. But the reality is the individual equities within these indexes are not doing very well. So in fact, in the 92 years of activity visualizing the Dow Jones Industrial Average, there were 93 changes in its composition. So it's not surprising as the average duration of the company's tenure on American indices has been trending down for decades. So 63% of the Dow changes occurred in the second half of the 92-year sample period, meaning that you know the second half of, of this 92 years that the Dow has been around, they've been constantly having to change everything. Uh, for a reason. And that's because they need you to think that the market keeps going up. And that's why they left everything steady for like 40 something years. And then the last 40 years, it's been nothing but constant changes. So that's why you think the market keeps going up is because it's being manipulated into going up. Now, they'll tell you it's a sign of the times that things are changing and that's modernizing the Dow and that delisting these companies is, you know, making way for aerospace and defense and big pharma and all these new things. Uh, but what about Exxon? Is that not important to the economy? Is oil not something we need or uh, rely on or that the U.S. government needs? Uh, I mean, it's, it's a pretty big deal. Uh, and so this is all kind of... Um, 
just fodder, just just information to make you think that it doesn't really matter when in fact the the Dow, for example, is rigged to go up, period. All right, we're going to move on to the housing. We're going to come back to this equity market. I want to talk about Tesla and some other stocks. But first, I want to just briefly touch on uh, home prices in every major city jumping more than double the federal uh, inflation target rate. So last month, I noticed the housing market was in the middle of a buying frenzy. So looking at a 20-city composite index that's surging at a stunning 6.6% year-over-year growth, uh, more than 1% higher than August and the highest in 30 months. So the real shocker is looking at the component cities that make up the composite index. So not only in the housing bubble uh, with cities like Phoenix and Seattle and San Diego and LA, all posting a 9.5% higher increase in annualized home prices. That's 10% of your house increasing for absolutely no reason. Uh, In case you didn't know, that's not how it works. Housing doesn't go up really your dollars going down. It's taking more dollars to buy the same goods and services. So your house actually isn't appreciating your dollars depreciating, but don't worry about it. We'll get there eventually. So um, there's some serious issues with, with housing right now. And I think we're seeing a melt up. So I want to show the median home price sales. Uh, this is just recently, it's the highest it's ever been. So new home sales are increasing. Uh, prices are at $200,000 with the median new home sales price reaching an all-time high um, at uh, about 325000 So since 2000, home prices were $126,000 and now that's up to $259,000. It's a 106% increase in just two decades. West Coast has seen a dramatic home price appreciation over the last couple of decades with California and Hawaii seeing the biggest gains, up over 200% increase since 2000. So here's a different graph about average new home sales prices. So these are new homes, not existing, and it was at $404,000. And this isn't about location, location, location. This is about in the United States where, you know, the price is ridiculous no matter where you're at. So this is really about... Again, the dollar devaluing, their purchasing power is decreasing, whereas assets are really remaining the same. It's not like housing prices are going up in value. It's just taking more money, more, excuse me, more currency to buy the same asset. So there's a soaring value of intangible assets in the S&P 500. So intangible assets currently account for 90% of the index's total. Not only is it a historic high, but as visual capitalist notes, It's a nod just to how prevalent technology has become in our lives. So as a refresher, intangible assets, they're holdings that don't carry any physical or financial embodiment. So it includes research and development, intellectual property, computerized information like data and software. Uh, Intangible assets are worth over $21 trillion now at this point. So the value of intangible assets in dollar terms has risen from $122 billion in 1975, soaring past $1 trillion. So we're taking a look at long-term resistance levels uh, at the S&P 500, starting to kind of hit this, this wedge. So the um, the federal government, the U.S. government has got to spend more money in order to kind of keep this momentum going. Quantitative easing is the printing of money. And so that velocity of money is really what's kind of keeping the economy going. Since we no longer have the petrodollar in place, that was the exchange of oil for U.S. dollars, no matter who was buying, no matter where they were buying. That has since kind of gone away since uh, Obama gave uh, Iran control of OPEC. That really upset 
Saudi Arabia. And so Saudi Arabia started taking any currency instead of just U.S. dollars. That was in place since um, uh, 1972, I believe, maybe 1971. So it's been in place for a long time. So when you see the S&P kind of reaching its peak, they've got to be able to pump more money into the stock market. And that's exactly what they've been doing. Not like Japan. Japan has actually been buying a lot. So the Bank of Japan is now the biggest owner of Japanese stocks. So the the government literally just prints money and then buys $434 billion worth of stock to keep its, uh, you know, companies in their country afloat. Um, Not the best way of going about it. So you can kind of see that uh, took over the Japanese government took over as the biggest owner of the nation's stock. Total value holdings climbing above 45 trillion yen because they don't really have any other option. So the plunge protection team was put in place by Reagan uh, in the 80s. So President Ronald Reagan had the plunge protection team, as they're uh, lovingly called. And what they do is they kind of go into the market and then buy directly. What they've been doing lately is having BlackRock do that for them. Um, So they're kind of coming out of the closet, so to speak, and, and buying equities via BlackRock doing that for them. At some point, that has a negative correlation. So we can see that the market, the S&P 500, has never been this disconnected from the economy. So there's a 10-year correlation of the market and GDP. So the more money that's printed out, the more that they go out and just buy equities, there's less and less correlation to that. So we're actually seeing negative returns. So um, anytime that they want to print money and put that back into the economy, you're going to see maybe 40 cents on the dollar return in terms of productivity you can't just buy stock and then hope that these zombie companies uh, are going to stay in business. A zombie company is a company whose revenues can barely pay the interest payments, and that's about it. So we're seeing that there's a, a negative correlation to continuing to prop up the economy. you got to just let it fail. So looking at the Fed's balance sheet, it's another crisis that's imminent. So the Fed's got to double their quantitative easing in 2021, but they actually need a catalyst in order to use that as uh, an excuse. The U.S. has already expanded its balance sheet by over $3 trillion this year alone and injecting $120 billion in liquidity every month. It's also buying corporate bonds, junk bonds, junk ETFs. So you might be asking yourself, why are they continuing to do this? And it's kind of simple. Since the value of financial assets in the United States economy is at a record 620% of GDP for the Fed capital markets are functional equivalent of the economy. And since market crash would destroy the highly financialized U.S. economy, it can never be allowed. That's why they keep pumping money into the market, propping it up. So this is why the Feds are going to have to more than double its scheduled monthly quantitative easing in 2021 just to catch up where it was in 2020. So there's other central banks that are facing the same challenges of insufficient monetization, and some have already taken appropriate steps. But the question you're going to have to be asking is what crisis are they going to use as a scapegoat for the next massive quantitative easing expansion? Like I said at the beginning, everyone and their mom is day trading right now. You can see Online brokerage trades exceeding uh, all-time highs. Everybody's out there because uh, the market only goes up, right? Might as well jump in and uh, buy what you can while the market's hot. But again, it's not just the U.S. that's spending this money. It's it's a lot of the G4 central banks out there buying trillions and trillions. So there's $29 trillion uh, for the G4 countries out there printing money and then going out there and buying stocks uh, adding to their their balance sheet so 
never a good thing. It's not going to end well. This is a collapse in the making. So I want to go back to the market cap of Tesla. It's kind of showing us that it's worth more than Berkshire Hathaway, um, which is which is funny because Berkshire actually produces uh, products and and makes money, whereas Tesla they kind of are, are based on a promise, and so they've got to be able to sell a lot more cars. And when their market cap of when Tesla's market cap is worth more than every single uh, Japanese company auto manufacturer combined. You got to kind of ask, well, when are they going to catch up with the sales? When is the reality going to kick in? Because this looks parabolic. And anything that goes straight up has to come down. Comparing Tesla to the Venezuela stock market, Venezuela was uh, crushed by inflation. And so it just went straight up. And so anything that goes straight up is going to come straight down eventually. Like I said, you take the stairs up and the elevator down. So Tesla stock isn't going to be any different. So I have some long-term equity anticipation protection securities known as leap options. Those are long-term options that I've bought a put on. And so I'm shorting Tesla right now uh, for 2020. Two uh, June expiration date. So a $20 strike price, that's the lowest price I could find in the longest duration. So trying to grab uh, the most amount of intrinsic value I can, because um, I don't know when it's going to collapse. I just know Tesla's price is going to collapse, not to $20 necessarily. Again, that's just the, the lowest strike price I could find, the cheapest option that was out there with the longest duration, because Tesla's fundamentals are crazy. Um, and their technicals are getting uh, out of hand as well. So we are looking for that Bear Stearns moment where the economy collapses. It could be China. It could be Deutsche Bank. Don't really know what it is, but China's financial distress is flooding the shadow banks. One of their banks just um, had to be taken over by uh, by the Chinese government. So they're facing its own liquidity squeeze. It's already forcing to skip repayments on dozens of investments, Uh, over the past few months. So no doubt there will be a catalyst for the economy to crash. Not sure what it will be. They will use that as an opportunity to do um, digital currency. So we're going to get into gold here in a moment, but kind of want to just show you how far they're going to go. They're going to commoditize water. So Wall Street is gearing up to trade water futures. So if you know anything about... um, a Pepsi, the PepsiCo company goes around to individual cities. They get um, sweetheart deals where they pay absolutely no taxes. They drain the water supply and they move on to the next city. They've done it in Europe. They've done it in the United States. And it looks like they've made their way into Congress to allow this to happen. Um, so basically, just like uh, crude and copper and soybeans and other commodities trading on the exchange, water is going to be joining that scarcity pretty soon, jumping all of our bills, um, increasing all of our, our costs there. So not good. Um, you know, collecting rainwater is still illegal. Hunting is still illegal. Fishing is illegal. Um, but apparently trading natural resources is not. So, uh, not too fond about this. This is pretty crazy. And so I'm not sure what the catalyst is going to be, but, um, it could be uh, political. It could be uh, something to do with resources, or it could just be something that we're entirely used to, like bank failures. So you may have seen Bitcoins hitting two, uh, $20,000 again. A lot of those cryptos are an indicator that people are not feeling so hot about uh, the US dollar or the economy, looking at some alternatives. So I always say to go, if you don't hold it, you don't own it. Same thing with crypto. 
Um, I do have some Litecoin, but I've sold out of Bitcoin. I've sold out of Ethereum, and now I just hold Litecoin. But I am um, more bullish on uh, precious metals. Again, if you don't hold it, you don't own it. And so the growth and productivity and compensation since 1948, when comparing gold to your salary, compensation includes wages and benefits. Um, those compensations have gone up 115%, where productivity has gone up 246%. So at 1972 is really where that sort of diverged, uh, where your productivity, you weren't really being paid or compensated for that any longer. Um, around a th almost a third of the productivity is what you're actually being paid for. So in other words, looking at the consumer price index, cost of living, um, when looking at gold versus a cost of living, um, cost of living really started to, again, accelerate at 1972 when uh, the U.S. dollar was taken off gold standard and um, cost of living skyrocketed. So it really stayed the same through the Revolutionary War and the Civil War, World War I and World War II. But after that, forget about it. Cost of living is skyrocketed and all of us are, are stuck not being properly compensated. So when you look at gold adjusted for fiat money from 1930 to 1922, gold spiked right after uh, 1972 when it's taken off the gold standard and then kind of came back down with a, a low at 2000. So gold adjusted for the U.S. money supply is cheap. And that's because we keep printing more and more currency, uh, devaluing our, our purchasing price. So one of the things inflation that you may have noticed is housing. Housing has gone par parabolic and so is beef jerky. So beef jerky used to be $10 a pound. Now it's $10 for eight ounces. So instead of a whole pound, you're getting just a couple of strips, kind of like housing. <laughs> you used to be able to get a lot of house for your money. Now you can't. It's not because housing is increasing. It's not because beef jerky is more expensive. It's just taking more dollars to buy the same assets. So uh, gold is looking cheap at this point. Gold is money, whereas fiat currency is is an IOU. It's debt. It's backed by nothing but the full faith and credit of whoever issues it. And that's a confidence game. So when that con game expires, you're left with nothing. So I expect that nothing less uh, to, to move forward in 2022, more of the same. Uh, and so we're going to see maybe $1.7 in student loans being wiped out along with a uh, trillion dollars in a transportation package. And, you know, the bankers, they'll get another trillion. No, no problem. You and I, we might get $1,200, uh, the equivalent. We got $100 a month last year, 1200 bucks one time. <laughs> and then you're going to tell us that we can't work. So you can't go to work, but we're not going to pay you. I'm not sure how that, how that works, but um, I guess that's maybe another podcast. The catalyst could be um, all of this money being printed out and absolutely no increase in gross domestic product or GDP. The productivity in this country is at a standstill. And yet you've got Airbnb and DoorDash going public for $3 billion. Um, Airbnb is an absolute nightmare. That thing's going to implode uh, along with Tesla. But that's not popular to say. It's just going to, uh, we're just going to have to wait and find with that, we're going to roll this one up. I'm Josh Kincaid. This is The Talking Hedge. Don't forget to like, share, and subscribe, or don't. And I'm out. Thanks for listening to today's show. To check out more great cannabis podcasts, go to podconnects.com. Here's a preview of one of our other shows. Hi, y'all. I'm Joe, host of Casually Baked, the podcast. 
If you're curious to explore the highly responsible side of cannabis, farming, and legalization, I'm here to help lighten the stigma and build your canna confidence. Download episodes now of Casually Baked the Podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. And journey with me through the evolving cannabis culture and discover how and why people like you are adding cannabis to their wellness toolkit. It's time to get casually baked. 